Welcome to the Vocational Education Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Dan. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining me again today on the Vocational Education Podcast. I thought it was appropriate today to start talking about distance facilitation. I've never been hit with so many requests to, in inverted commas, can we do this remotely, please? Do you do Skype sessions? Do you do Zoom sessions? How... Do you use Citrix and so on and so forth. The The reason for this is obvious. I think everyone is talking about the coronavirus or COVID-19 and its effect, not just on the economy, but to the day-to-day lives of people trying to undertake work and training. In the training industry, of course, there is a lot of regulation and government themselves have come out with directives for higher education and other suggested guidelines for organizations. And a lot of organizations I've seen have taken a proactive approach as well and come up with uh, policies and procedures for their students and staff. Regardless, if the economy, especially the education economy, is is not going to come to a grinding halt, we need to find our alternatives to -to face-to-face training. And for someone who quite recently denounced the effectiveness (laughs) Yeah, okay, that's me. Denounce the effectiveness of of some online learning options, especially when it comes to the effective use of a lot of these tools. You know, I do have to take a step back and realize that they have their place. And this is one of those places where they need to be not just scrutinized, they need to be unpacked and used in a much more effective way. So with that in mind, I'm going to probably direct you to a couple of other podcasts that have already talked about some of the platforms. So I'm not going to concentrate on platforms today, but I am going to talk about distance learning in general. Specifically, I thought I would relate to the chapter in our textbook, chapter seven, on coordinating and facilitating distance-based learning. The reason for this is that it does give a nice grounding as to how you might approach distance-based learning. Then it's kind of up to you or your organization to decide what platform to facilitate the learning with or through. The first part in the chapter of the textbook just covers the foundations of distance learning. So who are distance learners? And I won't insult your intelligence by going through some of the definitions, but suffice to say that anybody can be a distance learner How that's facilitated will depend on where the learner is, their circumstances, their access to technology, and so on. So some examples might include a geographically dispersed workforce, remote school students, when I say remote, people in remote communities or regional towns. Even just saying that out loud, we know straight away that the limitations for those not within the broadband sphere of a metropolitan or large regional area will be affected, um, and I hate to use the word discriminated against, with regards to the options they have. I remember studying by distance, I think we called it correspondence back then. When books were posted to you, you completed what you needed to complete and you posted your assessments back. Uh, That was living in Darwin at the time in the mid-90s, early to mid-90s. So that's not that long ago, I guess, but yeah, it's come a long way. Now, those in those regional or remote communities that don't have access to broadband or or any effective internet, this is still an option for them. So things like sending out hard copies or even soft copies, I mean, they still have access to computers, of learning materials and assessments uh, is one way to facilitate that distance learning for them. Of course, it's slower. And the feedback is that, of course, you don't have that face-to-face interaction or social learning that you would have in a classroom facility. 
So depending on your audience, if you are to facilitate a distance learning program, you need to have a learning strategy or a learning program that is aimed at those students. The learning strategy or learning program is just a document that outlines the who, when, where, why, and what of the training. Effectively, in that particular document, you want to make sure you have a list of the resources you intend to use, how they'll be used by the student, how the assessments will be timed, how the interactions will be timed, and so forth. I don't like to provide a one template suits all solution to learning strategies or learning programs. I think it really is based on the cohort, the context of the workplace and so on. However, if you can scrutinize the document and come up with your list of who, what, when, where, why, and how, it should be an effective enough tool to use. The next step, other than getting an overall view of the potential cohort, is getting a more specific view of the actual cohort. If you're providing the program to three, four, five individuals, then pre-enrollment information or enrollment information should give you some guidance as to the access that they have to technology. It'll also give you guidance as to their literacy, specifically in this case, their digital literacy. However, if, uh, depending on the program you're teaching, also just their standard language literacy and numeracy skills. So that's the third step, so to speak. So the first step is to figure out whether distance learning is an option. The second is to come up with a learning strategy or learning program. And in that program, you then delve into the individual needs of specific students, potentially who can undergo your program or who will undergo your program. There then comes into play a, an internal document. This internal document is not utilized enough. It's a bit like a mentoring program or a coaching program where you create a document that manages the, uh, the schedule of how you're going to interact with the distant students. We refer to it in the textbook as the Distance Delivery Management Plan. There is an example in the text, as I said, but uh, in our program, we also have, um, we, we do have a template, even though I just said we don't like inferring specific templates onto people, but it's a guideline. And again, it, it, uh, it indicates the qualification of the units being studied, the order they're being studied in, the resources you need, the resources are going to be posted out. And here's something interesting. There's also a commencement and end date for each of those units. And within that, we specify when certain resources will be made available to the students. This is to stop students racing ahead or potentially falling behind. We tend to want to make sure if we've got a specific cohort going through that everyone is at the same level when we interact with them. I mean, that makes sense. Now, we're not trying to chain the fast movers to the ground. If they do complete faster, then we as facilitators, distance facilitators, can give them further readings or other activities to do to not just fill in their time, but expand or increase the depth of their learning whilst waiting for potentially the others to catch up. But it is so important to have those commencement and end times clearly written in the distance management plan and also um, have the, the triggers for each of the learning materials that you're going to send out or, or other resources. Now, those resources might be something as simple as a Kahoot quiz or an email or access to uh, an online learning platform or, or whatever. But whatever the resources are, make sure they're clearly identified in the management plan. Now, this is an internal document. It's a document for the facilitators and any administrators who need to make sure those particular resources are available at the right time or sent out at the right time. So once we have our learning strategy in place, once we've done any pre-enrollment checks of our specific cohort and we have a management plan in place, the next step is to manage those distance learners. 
Now, managing learners in a classroom, well, that's a whole nother subject. However, managing distance learners isn't that different. Behavior isn't immediate, or at least isn't immediately obvious to you as a facilitator. So therefore, it would make more sense to build expectations into the program with the, the learners and the facilitator, so that if anything does go away from that particular expectation, it'll be picked up by either the facilitator or the learners, and you can come back to track. The most common thing that I've found with managing distance learners is sticking to the schedule. There's a million reasons, and I'm sure you could tell me, but there's a million reasons why someone will not keep up with the content or someone will get lost or someone won't hand in their assessments in time or worse still, they won't turn up to a scheduled meeting, whether it's a Zoom meeting or a telephone hookup or whatever. It's so important to manage that effectively. If they miss one meeting, it can have a huge impact on their potential to complete as the momentum shifts significantly in that one moment. Some ways of achieving this are to have scheduled reminders, maybe the day before. That reminder shouldn't just be a blanket email unless unless you've got so many students uh, and, and that's a more effective or efficient way of doing it. But if you've got a smaller cohort, maybe up to even up to 20 students, then a telephone call the day before or, the, or, or a few days before to just make sure that they're going to attend that particular Zoom session, webinar, again, whatever you're scheduling, then that's ideal. Of course, it'd be silly to telephone to check that they're going to attend a telephone call. That, that's where an email might come in more appropriately. But you can see what I'm trying to do here. It's just prompting those learners that you know, you're taking this seriously as a facilitator. You want them to attend. You want them to get the most out of this course. And don't shy away from sharing with them the result of not attending. The results can very, very quickly skew negatively where the student will provide the feedback to you or you won't provide the feedback to them. They will get disenchanted with the whole process and they could drop out soon thereafter. So that's the worst case scenario, but I've seen it happen and I've seen it start with something as simple as miss a phone call and then that's the end of it. So confirm expectations up front. Um, make sure you check in before any scheduled events. The other thing that's not used particularly much in the industry, although I do know some providers do this very well, but is text messaging as well. So if you do have the mobile phone information of your students through their enrollment forms, then uh, you could add them into a list and send a text reminder that day before or hour before, depending on the type of communication it's going to be. I've found that specifically has more power than an email because people tend to look at their phones more often than they tend to check their email, even if their email's on their phone. And it's more personal. It's directly to them on their phone number. So that uh, tends to have a high impact and a high positive result. Something to think about once the program is underway and you've had your first couple of meetings is how you're going to monitor and document the learner progress. A lot of learning management systems or student management systems do have that feature. So obviously that's the most rigorous way of doing it because it's, it's a consistent approach. The other way, of course, is to keep your own spreadsheet or your own way of uh, monitoring your students, even in a calendar. So if you're perhaps a consultant, you've only got one or two students and that might be the more appropriate way to do it. Maintaining the, the motivation for distance-based students is, I think, the key of the facilitator. Uh, sorry, the key responsibility of the facilitator, should I say. One of the things I personally do is just provide 
um, very positive feedback, no matter what they provide to you. Like even if it's just, oh, here, I, I've finished that quiz. Go back with, oh, fantastic result. You've uh, completed the quiz in great time. It looks like you're really getting onto this content uh, via text or an email or something like that. Or it could even be uh, built into the response within the uh, online quiz. Regular guidance, again, that comes back to that schedule of commencing each unit or each part of the unit. And motivational activities. So these are activities that include cues appropriate to those motivators that you've identified in your participants. So if someone um, particularly motivated by timing, finishing it quickly, or someone's motivated by the job, maybe it's going to be a change in role for them, then these are the things that you can come back to to assist them in remembering the why, remembering why they're doing it. Be authentic though. You know, you, you can't facilitate purely by scheduled email outs and anonymous looking text messages. It's got to be personal and it's got to be you. It's a bit like a, uh, an employee working for the manager. They don't work for their organization. They work for their manager because their manager is showing quality leadership. And it's the same with the facilitator. You are the leader within that situation and you have to show that leadership by being authentic. Your record maintenance uh, will depend very much on your organization itself. Again, if you've got a half-decent learning management system, that should keep track of the records appropriately. But as the student uh, interacts with you, maybe submits assessment, um, depending on how that assessment comes through, make sure it's managed very quickly or in a timely manner. I shouldn't say quickly, just in a timely manner. Make sure it's, it's, it's put where it's meant to be, it's assessed quickly, feedback's provided, and so on. Remember yourself in that situation. If you were sending something off to a facilitator, perhaps interstate or overseas, and you heard nothing for a week, you'd be somewhat disenchanted again with the whole process. And you think, well, what's going on? How come they're not getting back to me? Even though on the other end, potentially the assessors marked it and put it away. Well, great, that's great record maintenance, but really poor, poor authenticity and, and, and poor leadership. Think about yourself. It's a bit like taking that learner-centered approach. You know, Think about the learner, think about yourself in their situation and what you'd expect from someone undertaking this distance learning. The final step is to review the entire process. Go back over your entire process, starting at the reason that you created the distance learning mode, the learning strategy and learning program that you put in place, the specific cohort, how you engage with them, how you monitored their learning, and how you motivated their learning through to completion. What went well? What didn't go so well? Were the telephone calls on time? Were they timely with respect to the learner's needs? Or did you find that potentially the, the Skype sessions or the Zoom sessions or the webinars were the most effective part of the entire process? One of the key ways you can get that data, of course, is through some sort of effective student feedback. So you can do a self-reflection or a process reflection, and you can also have a look at a student feedback. So make sure that you've got student feedback built into your process at the end. Most organizations do, so this shouldn't be um, anything unusual to you, but if you don't, make sure you do have something that captures the sorts of information you would like, again, if you were running and designing that program again. So again, all those questions I just asked, you know, what was effective, what wasn't, what could be better. Once you've got that, then make sure that within your organization, it's appropriately dealt with. If there does need to be a, an improvement in the quality of the webinars, then that should trigger that improvement. It shouldn't just go on the shelf and, and think about it sometime in the future. So finally, other ways you can consider options for improvement. 
Uh, we talked about getting information from other students or from the students, and we've talked about your own self-reflection. You can also check in with managers and supervisors or other trainers, perhaps assessors if they were separate to the process. The resource developers, again, if they were separate to the process or any other specialist advisors, these could be IT personnel, they could be printers and publishers, they could even be your subject matter experts and so forth. Make sure you include all of that information in your options for improvement going forward. Like anything in vocational education, continuous improvement should be built into your process. So consider this not as an afterthought, consider this as almost a thing you're aiming for once the student has finished. Look through the completion of the student towards the review and the options for improvement afterwards. After you've done that, you should really find that the next time you run a distance program, it'll be even sharper, quality will be higher, and the student experience will be much better. So really, that's all I wanted to talk about today. I shouldn't say all, it's a, it's a big deal dealing with the changes in the industry at the moment. There's not as much money floating around and without as much money, people start to close things down, start to pull back. Uh, if we pull back from training, ladies and gentlemen, it's a danger. If we're not skilling our people, then what comes after the crisis? We have a whole bunch of unskilled people and, and, and we don't want to be in that situation. So encourage your clients, encourage everyone to keep investing in training. It is incredibly important for ongoing success for the economy, especially, and just for the for the nation in general. I'm so passionate about not just accredited training, just any sort of training that improves the skills, the knowledge, and the well-being of, of people in Australian workplaces. So again, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit, but please, yeah, take it seriously. Uh, get out there, use your own social media platform or your own network of influence to get out there and make sure people are not pulling back on their investment in training. It's just too important for the future. And that's where we're looking. We're not looking at the past, the present we're dealing with, and we should be thinking about our future, not uh, ignoring it. Okay, with that all said, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We really need you. You've probably seen we've dropped down to one a month at the moment. I want to make that temporary. We are starting to get some interviews lined up and we're going to get that side of the podcast back up and running. We want this to be a place for you to come and get inspired, perhaps, to do better, to be better facilitators, to be better trainers and assessors. I don't want to be a political platform. There are enough people looking at the politics of vocational education without us really sticking our noses into it. And to be honest, I'm not that interested in it myself. I don't really care about the politics of vocational education. As long as people are getting trained and they're getting trained well, then um, then we're doing our job. I'm more interested in, in how we learn and how we get better as human beings. So that that's the platform. That's where we're going. Interviews coming up with people will uh, probably reflect more about that, about the skills of facilitation, the skills of assessment, and making sure that we're always trying to be better. You can email me directly at dan at spectraining.edu.au. You can hit us up on our website, just spectraining.edu.au. Have a look at the podcast there. You've got some show notes. We'd love to hear from you. Any ideas as well about topics you want to cover. So this has been about the coordination and facilitation of distance learning specifically. And hopefully we can utilize this information to maybe transfer some of our face-to-face students who've needed to, for whatever reason, pull out of the face-to-face training. We can transfer them across to some sort of distance-based alternative that still provides them a quality outcome. All the best, ladies and gents.